This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. It's that time of the week. Time to tell a couple of Hasidic stories. And the first story is about a young man whose name was Dovber. And Dovber was once traveling back home from the house of his father-in-law, Reb Abraham. And his father-in-law lived near Chernobyl, which as we know today is known for the nuclear meltdown. But in the good old days, it was the center of a great Hasidic dynasty, one of the greatest and Reb Dov Bear, having heard about the great Rebbe, Reb Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, known as the Magid of Chernobyl, he had been going back and forth from his home to his father-in-law's home for a long time, and he'd never once been by the Rebbe in Chernobyl. And he said to himself, isn't it about time I see what everyone's talking about? They say the Magid can do wonders. He can perform miracles. He can see into the past and into the future. And even though he was a skeptic, it didn't take long for Dov Bear to discover why everybody was hanging out around Reb Nachum. When he walked into the Beit Midrash of the Chernobyler, the energy there was so exciting and pure and honest, he couldn't leave. But he knew at some point he needed to go, and it comforted him at least that every time he came back to visit his father-in-law, he would be able to visit the Rebbe, Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. And it wasn't long before Dov Bear found all kinds of excuses to visit his father-in-law. All of a sudden, he loved his father-in-law much more than ever before. And I'm sure he did love his father-in-law. But really, the reason was because he wanted to be by the Rebbe in Chernobyl. And he would sit and learn with the Hasidim. And the Rebbe would give over Hasidic explanations of the Torah and new concepts that Dov Bear had never heard before. And he came back again and again and again. And every time he left more inspired than the time before. Eventually, he made a decision. He told his wife, I'm going to become a chassid from Nachum Chernobyl. And so he was hanging out a lot in Chernobyl. And at some point, his father-in-law, who was not a chassid, and did not support chassidim, was not very happy what was going on with his son-in-law. He said to him one time, I don't understand. What happened with you and Rabbi Nachum of Chernobyl? You know, we have an agreement that I'm supporting you to sit and learn Torah. And I'm supporting you. But instead of learning Torah, you're hanging out around the Rebbe. I don't know what you're doing there. What did these Hasidim do? And so Dov Bear says to his father-in-law, the only way I can answer you is if you come and spend Shabbos with me by the Rebbe. So he said, no problem. I have an open mind. I'm willing to see what this is all about. They arrive in Chernobyl just before Shabbos. And they spend Friday night davening Kabbalah Shabbos with the Rebbe. And Dov Bear was experiencing fireworks going off in his heart and his brain from the davening. And all the Hasidim were singing and dancing and going crazy. And he looked over at his father-in-law, hoping to see him clapping his hands or at least smiling or something. But Rabbi Avraham just said, I'm not impressed. I've seen people daven with enthusiasm before. And of course, Dov Bear was disappointed because he figured, one Friday night by the Rebbe, that's all it would take. My father-in-law would get it. So he figured, when my father-in-law sees the Rebbe make Kiddush over wine before eating the meal on Friday night, he'll see the holiness coming out of the Rebbe, and he'll understand why I'm here. But his father-in-law was not impressed. 
not with Kiddush, not with the Nagunim, not with the words of the Rebbe after the meal, nothing. It's just like, uh, you know, this Rabbi Nachum, just another rabbi, nothing special about him. I really don't understand what you're doing here. And all Shabbos, Dov Bear was taking his father-in-law to davening, to the Kiddush, to the third meal. And he was hoping something would inspire his father-in-law, but nothing was inspiring him. And he was getting a little concerned because his answer to his father-in-law was, come and see the Rebbe. And he's definitely seen the Rebbe. And he's completely unimpressed with the Rebbe. And the father-in-law says, listen, Dov Bear, you're a sweet guy, and I'm happy you're married to my daughter, but I don't think I should be supporting you anymore. I'm paying you to learn Torah, not to hang out here by the Rebbe with his Hasidim. And then he looks at Dobber, he says, you know what? I think I should tell the Rebbe what I think. I mean, he's wasting your time. And not just your time, time of all these other people here. Really? This is Bittu Torah if I've ever seen it. Not learning Torah? So Rebbe Avraham, the father-in-law, is brought in front of the great Rebbe, the Magid of Chernobyl, Rebbe Nachum. And he says, Rebbe, with all due respect to you and your mission here, I have agreed to support my son-in-law while he sits and learns Torah. And while I've kept my end of the deal, my son-in-law has not. Instead of learning Torah like he's supposed to, he comes here to Chernobyl and hangs out around you and the Hasidim while you give over some very nice thoughts and ideas. But it's not the learning Torah that I want to see from my son-in-law. Tell me, Rebbe, do you think it's right that so many of these young men whose parents and their fathers-in-law are supporting them should spend their time here with you? And Reb Nachom, he looked at the father-in-law and he said, I'll be happy to answer your question and your claims with a story. During the time of the Beit HaMikdash, when the Holy Temple was fully built in the Holy City of Jerusalem, there was a Jew who was living in the land of Israel, and he had never once in his entire life been to Yerushalayim, been to Jerusalem. He always had a reason why he couldn't go, and he did a very good job convincing himself that he could remain at home and not need to come to Jerusalem, not even during the three festivals of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. He figured, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. Why do I have to go to Jerusalem? And so he never went. And he lived to be a ripe old age. And when he was an old man, by mistake, he desecrated the Shabbos. And it was a transgression that required a sin offering to be brought to the temple in Jerusalem. And he'd never done anything like that in his life. Nothing that required an offering that would force him to come to Jerusalem. But now he had no choice. And it wasn't easy because he was already an old man and he'd never been there his whole life. And the whole time he was traveling on his donkey, he had to ask people for directions. And people would look at him and say, how is it possible that a man of your age has never been to Jerusalem? How could such a thing be? Everyone goes there three times a year. You're clearly somebody who grew up here in the land of Israel. What's going on? And he would say to them, listen, don't worry about me. Just tell me how to get to Jerusalem. And they'd point him in the right direction. And again, he would ask and people would say, how could somebody your age have never been? And eventually he reached the city. And as he came up the mountain to Jerusalem, he became very excited. And eventually he reached the outer walls of the city. And once he got to the city, he had to ask people, how do you get to the Temple Mount? How do you get to the Holy Temple? And people said to him, how can someone your age have never been to the Beit HaMikdash? How is it possible? And he would brush them off. Don't worry about that. Just tell me how to get there. And eventually he arrives at the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple. And he enters the Chatzer, the courtyard, where the Kohanim are preparing the sacrifices. And it shocked him. This was the beautiful temple that he had heard so much about. It looked more like a butcher shop. 
The Kohanim were running around. There was blood everywhere. And he didn't know what to do. How do you bring a sacrifice? Where do you buy it? Who do you bring it to? He felt embarrassed. Being such an old man and never having had this experience before, and he said to one of the younger Kohanim, Can you please take me to the Kohan Agadon, the high priest? And he was led to a man dressed in beautiful, majestic clothing. And he had expected to see an old man like him with a big white beard. But instead he saw the Kohan Agadon was a young man. And he was not impressed with this young man standing before him. He couldn't understand what was so special about the holy temple and the Kohan Agadon. He looks at the Kohan Agadon. This is a young man. He looks at the Kohanim. He says, it's a butcher shop. This is what everyone made such a big deal about. So he says to the Kohan Agadon, what makes this place so special? Why are you more special than me or someone else? Why do people need to bring all of their flock to the holy temple three times a year? And the Kohan Agadon turns to the old man and he says, why did you come, my friend? And the old man says, I transgressed on Shabbos unintentionally. The Kohen Gadol says, this is the first time in your whole life that you've ever transgressed, that you would need to bring a sacrifice. And the old man, with a great deal of confidence, says, yes, this is the first time I've ever needed to bring a sacrifice. So the Kohen Gadol looks down at the stones on his choshen, which was one of the priestly garments worn by the high priest. It was a breastplate with 12 gemstones on it. They had the names of the 12 tribes. And on the breastplate was the Urim Vitumim, a special parchment in which Hashem's name was written, a special combination of Hashem's name. And this name caused the letters on the stones to light up. And it was a type of prophecy where God would answer questions that the Kohen Gadol asked in the presence of the Urim Vitumim. So the Kohen Gadol says, Has this Jew transgressed with anything besides what he says? And he sees the breastplate lights up. He says to the old man, What about last year when you made a business deal and didn't tell the truth and took an oath? That's a transgression? The old man says, You're right, I forgot about that. And again, the Kohen Gadol looks at the breastplate, at the Choshen, and he says, What about that time when you were alone and you did something that was forbidden? And the old man now realized that the Kohen Gadol could see everything. And he said to him, Please, don't ask the Urim Vitumim anymore. I don't want to be embarrassed anymore. Now I understand why somebody has to come to the Holy Temple three times a year. The holiness of this place raises a person up to a spiritual level that cannot be reached in another place. And had I come here my whole life like I should have, I for sure wouldn't have done so many transgressions. And so the Magid looks at the father-in-law, Rabbi Avraham, who's standing there with his mouth open in shock. And he turns to his son-in-law, Dovbear, and he says, I'm sorry to say, but all of the transgressions that the Magid mentioned are transgressions that I myself have committed. And he said to the Rebbe, please, please, Rebbe, don't say any more. I'm already so humiliated by my actions. And now I know, Rebbe, you are a truly holy man. And now I understand why my son-in-law comes here and the other Hasidim come here. And now I realize, Rebbe, that I need to come here so that I don't end up like the old man in the story. I need a Rebbe like you to elevate me so that I don't transgress and that I fix the transgressions that I did. And with that, Rebbe Avraham became one of the loyal Hasidim of the Magid of Chernobyl. And every time his son-in-law Dovber went, his father-in-law came with him. My good job is good job is Good job.
have one more story for you. In the last years of his life, from 1905 to 1914, the Ridvas, Rabbi Yaakov David Wilovsky, lived in the holy city of Tzfat. And before that, he was the chief rabbi of Slutsk in Poland. And in the early 1900s, in Chicago, in the United States, and the Ridvaz was considered one of the greatest Torah geniuses of his generation. And in those years, the older years of his life when he was living in Sfat, it was a cold winter afternoon. And he came to shul earlier than usual to Davin Mincha because it was his father's yard site. And he walked up to the shtender, to the podium where people lead the davening in shul. And he put his elbows on it and leaned his head on it and lost himself in his thoughts. He started crying and he went into a very deep meditation. And when the rest of the minions showed up to Davin Mincha, they see one of the greatest scholars of the generation standing there crying. Now, of course, they knew that it was his father's yard site, so they kept a distance from him. And they were assuming that he missed his father and was nostalgic and it caused him to cry. But one of his close friends went to the Ridvas and he said to him, I don't understand why you're so sad. Your father was 80 years old when he died. Wasn't he a young man? And he died 50 years ago. Our sages teach us that grief over those who've passed away fades from the heart. So why are you so emotional right now? And the Ridva says, I'll explain it to you. I was remembering the time when I was a young boy and my father hired the best Melamed in town, Reb Chaim Sender, to be my private tutor. And Reb Chaim's fee was one ruble a month, which was a lot of money in those days, especially for my father, who was such a poor man. He struggled every month to come up with the money to support us. And my father made his living by building ovens. He would build the bricks and plaster together a fireplace in an oven. And one winter, there was no cement or plaster anywhere. And my father couldn't build any ovens. And he couldn't afford to pay the Malamed's fee. And three months passed. And finally, I came home one day and there was a letter from the Malamed saying that he would not continue teaching me unless he received his salary by the next morning. And when my parents read the letter, I could see their hearts sinking. For them, my Torah education was everything. They were willing to sacrifice anything for me to learn Torah. And that evening, my father went to shul, as he usually did, and he overheard a conversation where there was a wealthy Jew who complained that the contractors who were building his house for his son and his future daughter-in-law couldn't get a hold of cement and plaster to build an oven. And he was willing to pay six rubles to anyone who could get him an oven. Because as you know, in Russia, in those days, if you didn't have an oven, it wasn't just used for cooking and baking, it was the heating for the house. And to survive winter without an oven, not an easy thing to do. So my father came home from shul, and he discussed it with my mother. And the two of them decided that my father would dismantle our own oven, brick by brick, and use those materials to build a new oven for the rich man's son. And then they would have six rubles in order to pay the tutor. And my mother agreed, and my father began breaking down the oven. He brought the oven to the rich man, installed it in the new house. And received six rubles in exchange. He gave me the money. And he said, tell the Malamed that three of these rubles are for payment for the money that I owe him. And the other three are for the next three months of tuition for my uncle David. It was a very cold winter that year. And the family shivered and froze all winter, 
just so Rabbi Yaakov David could have the best teacher and would grow in his Torah learning. And the Ridva says, today it was freezing cold outside. And I thought, maybe I would organize a minion in my house instead of coming to shul. But then I remembered the misiut nefesh, the self-sacrifice of my parents and my father. And in my father's honor, I decided that I should make a special effort to come and daven in shul today and not daven at home. And when I got here, I thought about my family suffering during that freezing cold winter so long ago, willing to suffer so that I could learn Torah. And that's why I'm crying so deeply. Because when I think about my parents' endless love and devotion and all the self-sacrifice they gave in order to make sure that their son would learn from the Holy Torah, if it wasn't for their sacrifice, I wouldn't have grown up to be the rabbi I am and written my commentary on the Talmud Yerushalmi. And so you see, my sweetest friends, sometimes we have to have self-sacrifice for learning Torah, and sometimes we have to have it for our children, and sometimes our children have it for us. And just like Rabbi Yaakov, David's father, disassembled the oven brick by brick and rebuilt it brick by brick, so too when we learn Torah, we build it brick by brick so that it will be an everlasting edifice that will stand the test of time. Winter, summer, rain, or drought. And as we learn from the first story, being by the Rebbe is also learning Torah. And I'm sure you remember the story that I told you once, that a Melamed came to the Labavitcher Rebbe, and the Rebbe said to him, do you tell Hasidic stories to your students? And the Melamed said, no, it's Bittu Torah. It's wasting time. It's not teaching Torah. And the Rebbe looked him in the eye, and he said, Hasidic stories are Torah. Tell Hasidic stories. From that point on, the Melamed always told Hasidic stories. And you, my friends, by listening to these stories, you are learning Torah. And you are coming closer to the Tzaddikim and to the Rebbe's and to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my sweetest friends, 
I want to thank the Burns family of Morristown, New Jersey, for becoming supporters of this podcast and for reaching out to me, and specifically to their sons, Mendel and Shruli. Shalom Alechem, Mendel and Shruli. May Hashem bless you to continue loving Hasidic stories, to grow with them as you grow from strength to strength, and also to their fetter Aaron Laser. Thank you so much for listening and for retelling the stories every Shabbos. And to all of you who listen, and all the supporters of the podcast, and all those that share and leave me comments, thank you for being part of this Hasidic story community. If you'd like to become a supporter, you know how to do it. Just go to my website, HasidicStory.com. And until next week, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom, my sweetest friends, Zai Gesund.